Hello and welcome to this episode of the Joyful Friar podcast. I'm Father Nathan Castle, your host. This is the uh, Sunday morning edition of the Joyful Friar. I rarely do uh, an episode on a Sunday because I'm usually busy doing other things, and I will be, but I had an extraordinarily good night's sleep. You might know of me that I often get um, spirit visitors during the night. Even when I do, I usually fall right back to sleep, but no visitors last night and just a good night's sleep that had me up extra early and extra energized. So this is as good as it gets. So this morning we're going into part two of our trilogy on Eric alone with his thoughts. I love the Eric story, love the person of Eric uh, because he touches my heart. I've spent much of my career with college students. I live on the uh, campus of the University of Arizona. I'll be around a lot of students throughout the day today because I'm preaching at all of the masses. Eric, if you recall from uh, last uh, episode in this series, died between graduating with an undergraduate degree and before choosing what to pursue next. He knew that he was going on for an advanced degree, probably a PhD, but he 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 didn't want what he called a clumsy series of degrees where you move from university to university studying somebody else's uh, curricula. He was looking for something that he, he, he said he wanted something seamless. He wanted to study everything really. He, he wanted to study meaning and purpose. And he said, I didn't really want to be a philosopher, I wasn't a religious person. I admired the way religious people uh, uh, allowed for wonder. He was interested in the wonder of the universe, and he really wanted to explore all kinds of things. But he said, who would pay me to do that? Uh, he looked at over toward the uh, tech industry because there's, uh, you know, a lot of innovation has gone on in the tech field, especially during uh, his brief lifetime here. But he said, what do they do when you, when you get hired there? Do they make time machines or something? So he was uh, a guy still looking for the path forward for what his uh, like vocation would be, what his purpose and contribution would be. If you recall, he was the, on the day of his death exploring by joining a group of people he didn't know who were going on a hike. I think it was through an app, but I'm not sure. But it was some sort of uh, invitation that was broadly made for come one, come all. We're going to go on this hike. Join us if you want. And he did. But he was disappointed that rather than it being an opportunity to meet new people, it seemed like everyone except him had come with a partner. And they were all in pairs or clusters. And he was alone again. He read the situation and he he just decided that he would stay back, be the last one in line, and not really try to pair up that day. He also said, which is very practical knowledge, that a, a hiking trail isn't really a great place to hold a conversation. Trails often are one person at a time and you're looking at the back of the head of the person in front of you. It's, it can be hard to hike to abreast uh, and hold a conversation while you're climbing over things. Anyway, he 
he was used to being alone anyway. He was the only child of of two PhD parents. And he even told us, do you remember, that when people got a little too close to him, he all he often backed off a bit. So he acknowledged, he had self-knowledge that I wasn't necessarily an easily a person who was easily befriended. So anyway, that was kind of the state of things on the last day of his life here. If you recall, he was on this hike, but he was all the way at the back and he took a step that created uh, a, a rock slide. He, he slid and it the slide displaced enough ground that he ended up buried upside down, his feet sticking up out of the dirt, realizing that he couldn't move his arms, he could hardly breathe, his death was quick. But he had a moment at least to say, oh, look what happened to me. Um, I'm going to die right here. And he did. Today, this episode is compassionate response. So compassion means to suffer with. And I just believe it's part of a life well lived is to uh, be a companion to people when they're suffering, to try to ease their sufferings if you can. It's also, I think, a part of a life well lived to allow others into your space even if it feels uncomfortable when you are in need of compassion. Sometimes when we're wounded, we want to push everybody away. And that can be det detrimental. And it, it can be bad for the other person because uh, being able to exercise compassion, I think, is just an important spiritual muscle. So in, in my attempt to be with you in a compassionate response, I'm especially... Uh, have in my heart today, any of you who are watching this, who are in a moment in your life where you're brokenhearted. I know that some people seek out the topic of near-death experiences and the kind of things that I write about in my book, in part because dealing with the grief of having someone they love uh, die, and especially if they die young or abruptly where there was little advance notice, it can just be so hard. So I'm uh, I'm hoping that today I might have something that could ease your sufferings a bit or help you form uh, a new thought that might be part of your healing. Compassionate response with Eric alone with his thoughts. That was that's what I called him. That's what he said about himself when he made that decision to stay back and be the last one in line. Uh, he wasn't uh, angry. Uh, he, he he wasn't upset that he had that this hike was misrepresented. He just read the situation, that's all. And when he looked at the situation dispassionately, he just decided, well, I'll just make a different choice. I will be alone with my thoughts. And and as I mentioned, he was the only child of of two professor parents. He was used to being alone a lot anyway. So that wasn't uh, really a big stretch for him. He just thought, well, I'll enjoy my own company. Well, one of the th things that I wanted to bring up that by way of compassionate response is sometimes when a person dies uh, alone, there's a, a sense of alarm and it, uh, deep brokenheartedness. Oh my God, you know, my poor beloved, uh, Poor Eric, uh, he he died all alone, and 
it seems to us that that death is frightening and it would have been nice to have someone hold your hand or uh, calm you, assure you of their love or something like that. Particularly during the pandemic, there were so many people who were dying in hospitals or nursing homes where loved ones who would have visited, who wouldn't have been at a bedside for a vigil, were not allowed to. And uh, that was noted a lot in the media that that uh, the grief that people were experiencing with deaths of, of loved ones during the pandemic um, were, were exaggerated uh, because of the loneliness aspect to it. Well, here, listen up. My experience is that none of us die alone ever, ever, ever. And that's borne out in the story that Eric tells us about what happened in his death. He was accompanied by his guardian, kind of helped up to his feet, uh, brought to a place of safety. I've seen that over and over if, you, if you've if uh, you read uh, my books, but over and over again, the companionship of one's guardian angel, whatever you call it, spirit guide, I just stay with guardian angel. They always are there uh, to make sure that you are safe, even while you might be um, dying in a circumstance that was anything but safe. They're there to remind you that you were always larger than your mortal life on earth. You were always larger than the mortal body that you knew would die of something someday. That day arrived, and uh, here we are. Well, Eric had a, a particular gift, I think, for being in the present moment, which is a great skill. And he didn't die alone. Nobody does. My undergraduate degree was in gerontology. And I, at one point in my life, I spent a lot of time around elders and some of those in uh, healthcare settings, nursing homes. My mom lived in a, a what she insisted on uh, was an independent living apartment, and, and it was, it, it, but it, it had lots of services around it that enabled her to be independent. Very, uh, uh, you know, in her, up into her eighties, she died at ninety-one. Um, I used to be around a lot of elders, and one of the the griefs that can circulate among a group of elders is someone might have, go unseen for a day or two, someone who lived alone in their own apartment or their own home, and they're found dead and they might have been dead for a day or two and there can be a, a great grief around that like isn't that just so pathetic uh and and uh, awful well except that nobody does die alone uh I, I don't know how else to say it eric didn't die alone even though he was at the back and nobody uh, in that hiking group realized what had happened to him um and then in in the story that he told who showed up for him a group of medical school young men and women who died while they were in med school. They even, some of them were wearing uh, university clothing, sweatshirts and stuff with university logos. And they were, they were comparing notes about different kinds of treatments for head injuries and things because they were from different parts of the world. There was a, a cluster of people who, like Eric, died during their 20s, during their uh, college years, and he was assisted by them right away. That brings me to uh, a, an, another idea that can happen when a young person dies 
especially suddenly, oh my, what a waste. He died so young, all that potential now unrealized. He could have been, uh, he could have set the world on fire, whatever, and now he he died young and that's the end of it. Well, except if you, if you accept the premise that we're eternal always, his potential wasn't wasted. It just didn't get actualized fully here. He told us that he hadn't yet decided on a program of study because he wanted something that was more comprehensive. And much of the of higher education is built with uh, specificity in it. And, and that gets exaggerated as you go further along. I was at Stanford for a number of years, and that was the first time I really worked with a lot of PhD candidates. That process is so long, it's it's a number of years long, and part of the discernment near the front end of it is choosing a, a research topic for your dissertation. And then you have to create some sort of experiment and some some sort of protocols to, to create a thesis and try to prove it. Then uh, get your evidence together and write up your results before somebody else in the world who might have decided to do the same thing beats you to the punch. I just I discovered lots of of uh, PhD candidates that couldn't stand their topic anymore. They were so tired of it. Who would have much rather enjoyed something that wasn't quite so specific? Anyway, I don't believe Eric's potential went unrealized. It's true that it went unrealized here on Earth, but this is not all there is. I believe Eric uh, simply moved his all that potential and all that enthusiasm for life to a next plane. I think the next plane or planes um, is better suited for his temperament anyway. He was looking for something that was more comprehensive, and I think uh, he was able to find that. One part about Eric's life was that uh, what sometimes people can feel like if a person died before they could marry and have children, that, oh my, isn't that awful? Um, I'm not married and I don't have children. Is that so awful? There are lots of ways to live a life and none of us are guaranteed long life or a specific template for how it's all going to unfold. Eric told us about his relational life that when people got a little too close to him, he pulled back anyway. He wasn't really ready for... Uh, he he didn't like dating. He said, it looks so opaque to me. Why can't people just get together and hang out and have fun? And, and I think he did that, at least um, on a scale that suited him. But sometimes I think we can have in our mind that um, that somebody didn't get to do something that uh, that we in our imagination think is essential to have had a happy life. I don't think Eric died an unhappy person. So if if that's a part of any grieving that you might be doing, would you give that a second thought? There are lots of ways to live a life and we don't need to necessarily think in terms of deprivation and the glass half empty when uh, a young person dies, not if they keep living and they do. So I don't think it was a waste that uh, Eric died. Although, you know, I only know him in the way that I do. I, 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 uh, I, if, uh, if any of you are listening to this and happen to know Eric and 
I'm treading upon your your grief. I apologize, but uh, the the person I met, the Eric I met, was uh, full of enthusiasm, which is interesting because he told us that he was not a religious person, and he didn't use religious categories to move through his death. Uh, the word enthusiasm is means to have God inside, entheos in Greek. Um, he was certainly enthusiastic. I saw that he had a, a colossal, wonderful imagination. Imagination, imago means face. Uh, and both Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas, in whom I'm schooled, taught that nothing comes to be actually until it first exists in the imagination of its creator. Let me repeat that. It's not a complicated idea. Nothing can come to be actually until it first exists in the imagination of its creator or its maker. Think, for example, of something as simple as uh, cooking. I live in a, a community where Tuesday nights is my night to cook. And I often do the, the Thanksgiving and Christmas meals because I enjoy putting on uh, a big feast and not doing it all myself, but at least apportioning out all the tasks that need to be done to create uh, a communal, uh, joyful experience of a meal. Even if it's a weeknight meal and something pretty simple, uh, one of the guys that I live with is vegan. So I have to, to think of what am I going to do for my vegan? Uh, some, you know, uh, have to do low salt or don't want onions or whatever. If you cook for, for anybody, uh, it, there are always some likes and dislikes, allergies and such. You have to think ahead and then plan, uh, you know, several courses and think of how they will all turn out at the same time. That's one of the trickier things. Uh, you have to imagine things that, you know, delight the person who are going to enjoy your meal, uh, how to, how to make it attractive to the eye. I think that's uh, a large part of entertaining and I love to do that. All that is going on in my imagination, and I I settle in on, that's it. I'm going to do that meal. Then that means writing down an ingredients list, maybe going to a recipe, going grocery shopping to have all those things in mind, all these steps that need to be done to move toward the thing that you're trying to create. All that's happening in imagination before you even turn on a burner on the stove. Everything's like that. Everything that's created the, the way that I was taught and that makes sense to me is the entire created universe operates that way, that the, the mind of the creator, the mind of God first imagined you before you came to be. And the, I remember being taught in first grade that God said somewhere in 1955 that the world is already a beautiful place, but wouldn't it be great if Nathan were in it? And then through the agency of my parents' love for each other, uh, God's design of me begins to be actualized. And then he made me a co-creator, not just an object that rolled off an assembly line, but gave me the capacity to do what he did, to imagine and be a co-creator. I believe Eric, he would not, Eric wouldn't have used any of that religious language, but he understood himself to be a creative force in the universe. He just wasn't sure what he wanted to create, or what the universe needed that he might be able to provide. Well, he 
he had enough imagination to know what he didn't want. And that's a large part of choosing a life path when you're a young person. <laughs> I, I found college to be such a candy store. I, I, everywhere I looked, there was something that I wanted to study. And I chose a place that allowed me to be um, free to do that largely. And I, and I had interdisciplinary degrees in sociology and social sciences. And uh, I, I really did enjoy that undergraduate candy store. But then as I moved toward what am I going to do after that, I did have to get more specific and imagine what my uh, future path might be. And I'm often asked, well, how did you choose to be a priest? And and how did you choose to be a Dominican and, and all of that? Well, I imagined it. I looked around. I, I took in information. I mused over it. I prayed over it. Um, I played out ideas in my mind. And eventually I began to study this, the um, steps that would be necessary to actualize something that was in my imagination. All right. Well, that was a lot of words <laughs> to introduce imagination. But I think when I when I think of Eric, when I imagine Eric, one of the characteristics that just stands out about him to me is that he was imaginative. In, in his afterlife, we were only, you know, just casual players. <laughs> my my prayer partners and I are only helping him move from this kind of therapeutic level that is needed by some people when they die suddenly, abruptly, violently. And he had, but he, he knew that he was ready to move from that. And he knew that he was moving to something with a great deal more freedom and potential. Oftentimes at funerals, we'll hear people uh uh, speak hopefully about the deceased and say, now Jack is up there on the first tee in heaven. If Jack enjoyed golf, uh, uh, you know, we're imagining that, or he, he's with his his poker buddies, or or mom is is reunited with dad, or those kind of things where we have a sense of what a person might have imagined their uh, heaven being. Well, again, Eric wasn't going to use heaven as a category. But he knew that he had an, uh, an incremental step to do. He needed he needed to move from this level of what he was at with the assistance of my prayer partners and myself to a next thing that where these a lot of potentials would open up. But he knew he needed a companion. He needed a guide. At the time, we had kind of three categories that we worked with often. I often would say, can you think of anybody who died before you did who you know loved you? But that's the primary one that most people use. Essentially, luck of the draw. You could opt, if you like, to simply say to God, the universe, those around you already, uh, I'll take whoever comes. I've had several people say to me, since I got here after my death, I've been nothing but well-treated by everyone I've met. I'm confident that whoever shows up next, even if I've never met them, will be equally kind and competent to get me to the next place. I've seen that happen a number of times where they're just happy to have uh, anybody. And those anybodies often end up being somebody that they knew that they hadn't even thought of. It was their piano teacher that they hadn't seen in 40 years or, or their scout leader, oftentimes childhood figures, somebody that they went to school with in elementary school. It could be just about anybody. And then there's this other category that I, in his presence, I glossed over pretty fast, um, which was celebrity. I've been told over and over again that in the afterlife or in, in the kingdom of God, if you want to use religious language, and I do, uh, that 
God loves all of us and that we're all well known. Nobody has to grab for headlines, uh, even the people who had fame here, uh, they become aware that their fame was uh, often regionalized or in, in a linguistic group. Um, you might be a, a famous singer, but your songs are all in English. And so English, non-English listeners don't pay very much attention to you, even though you might take up a lot of air in the room whenever you're traveling. Um, anyway, and and that, at that time uh, changes fame. Somebody that was quite famous uh, decades or centuries ago uh, hardly is known uh, outside of the milieu where they were famous. Anyhow, I mentioned celebrity or uh, uh, famous people. Like, you know that question, if you could be on a desert island with anybody at all, who would it be? If it was just you could be one-on-one -on -one with somebody, uh, just the two of you, who would it be? That's the direction Eric went in his imagination. He said, wait a second. Did you just say it could be anybody? And, and my prayer partner said, well, we don't force anybody. We don't have the capacity to do that. And we wouldn't do it if we did. It, it, we, all we do is invite. And the person would have to be available and interested and desire to do it. But it wouldn't hurt to ask. And he said, well, then I want Einstein. And I remember my friend who was helping at the time, who was a campus minister, said, well, all righty then. <laughs> all right. Well, uh sit tight. And then we just said a little prayer. And we didn't make a big deal out of the prayer because remember, um, Eric was not a religious person. So we didn't need to go into a lot of elaborate um, uh, theological or spirit language. We just said, God, uh, you know, Eric's heart. Eric uh, is, is asking this question. Would it be possible for uh, Albert Einstein to come for him and, and uh, accompany him to his next level? We sat still for not more than 10 seconds. And then this time it was sort of visual and it's two years ago now. I don't remember if it was Eric telling me what he was seeing. He was inside me. So sometimes I, I, we're more co-conscious. I see what the person inside me sees, but not always. Sometimes they see a thing and they say, look at that. And I have to say, well, tell me what you're seeing because I don't see it. And then they describe it. The person who showed up for him was Einstein, but not, he He said, not that guy with the walrus mustache and the shocking gray hair going in every direction. Not that that picture that you might have of Einstein in your head. He said, no, he's coming at the, as this tweedy young professor, like early 30s, just starting out in his professorial career. He's showing me that because he wants me to know that I could be like younger brother to him. And he could be my older brother, like really, really smart older brother. Well, isn't that beautiful? Remember, Eric was an only child. He didn't go on about wishing that he could have had siblings, but it sounded to me like, um, like, it, like God, the universe, knew that uh, there was a place in Eric's heart for um, bonding with a a sibling that he never had and that Einstein presented himself as this really, really smart older brother. And he was a professor who had all the chops. I think Eric called it in uh, physics and math, but he said he also had a sense of uh, mystery and wonder. It wasn't exactly religious, but it was what Eric was looking for. Somebody that wanted to explore the universe and appreciate its beauty and its wonder. So it was 
Albert Einstein, who at least for a while accompanied Eric as he moved along. You know, we always go back and, and ask a person's permission to tell their story in public. And we did that with Eric. But even that's a long while ago now. Um, I don't know what he's gone on to do. I just know that he was ready to rock and roll. He was not want, wondering uh, what he would do and frustrated by how to find a path forward any longer. He was, um, he wanted to explore the universe and he was a, a, a guy on the go. He wasn't Eric alone with his thoughts anymore. He was Eric accompanied at least by Albert Einstein and God knows who after that on his way to uh, grand adventures. So I, I've only gotten to know Eric in, in the way that I'm sharing with you and that I share in the first of the two Afterlife Interrupted books. But I look forward um, to knowing him later in the great roundup. Uh, he's somebody that I can feel his presence with me now. And uh, I'm, I, I just have a great deal of admiration for that young man. Anyway, that is it for this version of the Joyful Friar podcast. This is uh, part two of a trilogy for Eric, alone with his thoughts, compassionate response. So if there's something that I can do for you, you can always contact me through my website, nathan-castle.com. But for now, uh, God bless you, and I hope you have a great day. Bye-bye now. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joyful Friar. You can visit me at nathan-castle.com. Send me a message by clicking the contact button. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can make a donation by clicking the donate button. See you next time. God bless.